Welcome to the Paradox PT podcast, where we discuss all things physical therapy, rehabilitation, and clinical practice. My name is Leo Falzon. Today, Brando and I reflect on something called imposter syndrome, which is basically the feeling that you're a fraud or that you're not good enough and that all of your accomplishments are accidental. We chat about our experiences with it, some strategies that have helped us overcome it, and go out on some interesting tangents along the way. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Brandon about imposter syndrome. So, Brando, uh, the idea here, I wanted to talk to you about imposter syndrome because I've been, it's a term I've, I see going around a lot on social media. It's a, uh, you know, it's a word that I don't think I'd heard until maybe four or five years ago. And I don't know really where it came from, but it, uh, it's something that I feel like I've had, I've struggled with at times. And I, I honestly just wanted to get your take on it. So first of all, I, I thought I'd ask by, by getting your take on what you think imposter syndrome is, like, how would you define it? Uh, that's that's a great question. I, you know, I, I shouldn't have Googled uh, the actual definition. Um, but, you know, prior prior to Googling, what, what would I say? I, I'd probably say, like, you know, you have this sensation in your own body that, like, you're a person that you don't think you either deserve to be or truly are. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and it's always, I think, in the interface of transferring knowledge from one person to the next. So, you know, for you and I, you know, clinically, we have all these patients who look up to us and trust our judgment and ask us questions. And we're playing this role of clinician that we've, you know, never really played before. So we, we kind of get to that, that sense of, am I faking this? Is this, is this real? Do I deserve to be here? Am I smart enough to be here? Um, or even what the hell do I even know about what's going on? Uh, what, what, what would you say? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that resonates. I would say, for me, like, in a concise uh, sentence, imposter syndrome is like the feeling that you're a fraud, maybe, you know, or that um, you're not good enough, you don't deserve to be in your current position, wh- whatever it is, and that maybe your your accomplishments are accidental. Um, <clears throat> there was a good quote. Do you know the author Neil Gaiman? No, 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 no I don't. Anyways, he, he had a he gave a really good commencement speech at university, and he said, "I have his quote here. It was the first problem of any kind of even limited success is the unshakable conviction that you're getting away with something, and that at any moment now they'll discover you." You know what I mean? That's really nice. That's a really nice way to sum it up, isn't it? Yeah, and so you know, I, I just I, it's an interesting thing because first of all, like I find it fascinating that we call everything a syndrome now. Because I don't know, I, 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 um, to some degree, that feeling like you're a fraud, like, is that just, is that not just low self-confidence? You know? Totally. Totally. <laughs> or, or maybe not even low self-confidence. Maybe it's just being like intellectually honest. You know what I mean? Like just, just like being internally honest of, of, of your skills, of your abilities or, and even even though you're being honest, it doesn't mean that you don't have those skills. It just you haven't quite realized that you do quite yet. You know what I mean? Like just you're not used to being in that type of position. Yeah. Um, like, like like for me, I've never really tried to portray myself as somebody I'm not, and um, I, I think that's important for 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 reasons not only through physio but obviously through life. Um, but I, I attribute that to maybe one of the reasons why like I grapple with imposter syndrome from time to time but it hasn't been something that has been particularly 
um, it, it hasn't overtook me in any, in any type of capacity. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think it's a remedy, but if you're honest to your ability and, and you convey yourself in such a way to others that match how you feel on the inside, like you're just being your authentic self, I think that's a way to, to dampen the effects of this imposter syndrome, but it doesn't solve it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I'm with you. I, I think, you know, it's, it, it like, it's, it's, it's useful to ask the question, like what's driving that feeling like you're not good enough. Um, Cause I think on one level, you know, it could, there's probably a lot of people who have this feeling like they're not good enough because they're actually not good enough. And like, they haven't put in the work to actually know what they're doing, you know? So you have a genuine lack of expertise. And so then you feel like a fraud and like you are a fraud in that sense. Um, but then I guess there's the issue where you maybe you actually are an expert in an area and you still feel that imposter syndrome. And I think different people probably struggle with, with that to different extents. So, you know, maybe for some people, it's just a situational issue where they're new to something, they haven't gained genuine competence in it. And so they don't have confidence in themselves. And then on another level, it could be this underlying, you know, you could see it as more of like a dispositional trait where some people just have a, a tougher time ever feeling like they belong, you know? Um, yeah. Totally. And let, let's just talk about the latter for a second. Like, you know, let, let's say you are an expert in one specific area of your practice and for whatever reason, you just still feel that you're not this expert that people uh, portray you to be. Is that a particularly bad trait to have? Like, I know it's not necessarily easy on the being, um, but it brings some sort of humility and it also brings uh, motivation to keep learning. You yeah. know, there's nothing worse than somebody who just feels like they've made it. They've accomplished everything they have to accomplish. They're the pro. Everyone is coming to see me. I know everything. And I, I you know what I mean? You, you never have to expand out of that. Um, what, what do you, what do you take on that? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that like, if it, if it really manifests in a sort of humility, like that's, that's a positive that's a positive thing. Like you don't want to be on, you, like you don't want to be arrogant, you know, about your level of expertise and to like feel like you're, you know, so great and you have nothing more to learn. Cause I think humility is beneficial. Like it, it, it drives you to, um, to, to keep getting better. And it's, it, I guess the question is like when the opposite end of the spectrum fills over into you feeling like pathologically, like, you know, you don't deserve to be there. And then maybe people can kind of get, because I think people can detect arrogance really, really easily, but they can also detect somebody who's like desperately out of their depth. You know what I mean? So I think you, you kind of want to be somewhere on that tightrope. Um, it's true. Yeah. So like, it's, I think you should never be like you, if, if you never feel a little bit of that imposter syndrome, then you probably means you're never, you're not doing things that are outside of your current competence level which means you're not getting better and you're not growing and you're not learning new things. And you should be in rooms where you don't feel like you're the smartest person there. Right. Um, totally. But on totally. the other hand, if you, if you're just completely, you know, underwater and you, you can't, you can't come up for air and then maybe you've, you've, you've bit off more than you can chew. I guess, I guess the question is like how, yeah, where different people probably need, different pieces of advice here, right? <laughs> it's true. I, I really like, let, let's pick apart this one part where you said it was this, this, this feeling of, of deserving, you know, like 
why why wouldn't somebody feel like they deserve to be where they are and we can take it like just through the spectrum of education you know we have all these people who graduate high school you know we have these people who are tend to be overachievers high achievers in high school go right into university they have a similar experience because it's really not all that more challenging for them they succeed you know very well through through university uh, they get their undergraduate degree applying to the master's the master's is a hard program to get into as we were chatting on our first episode and then all of a sudden they're with these these also higher success type folk yeah and then all of a sudden they maybe don't feel as smart as they once did I, i'm just i'm curious to see how that translates to to not just you know the, the feeling that they don't deserve to be here because i i did witness that with a lot of people like a lot of colleagues that i had like they just had this sense that um despite all of their efforts and their intelligence um and just even just how remarkable some of these people are they still don't feel like they should be in physio school um and and that yeah. to me always seemed like that was that that like that hurt me you know what i mean to, to just hear and see because these people work so hard like you and i we work really really hard you mm -hmm. know and like sacrifice um and you know you overcome all these barriers um you know just for an opportunity to be there and as soon as that opportunity is granted the fact that that's not met with just utter joy and excitement is that's unfortunate you know so like why like what is it about the person you think that makes them feel that they just don't deserve it yeah it's, it's such a big question um yeah i think it's it's natural to just feel like there's oh like like pete maybe maybe you're unique and special in a way and and in in a negative sense and that um, and, and I don't know the the way other people present themselves. Like I remember when I was in physio school, like people just seem so put together, you know what I mean? And yep. in, in, in our own experience, maybe we, like, I think people hide the struggle they go through often, like to get to where they end up. And, um, it, it seems from the outside, like other people have such an easy time of it and that maybe like I always kind of felt like against all odds, you know, I got into physio school and like I did, I never felt growing up like academically, I, I was, you know, uh, near the top of my class in high school or even very well inclined. Like I, it was just never part of my identity. And then you see these people that are just like absolute, like they're just machines, you know, <laughs> like, um, and it's hard to, I don't know, get like, I think if your identity is wrapped up in, in, as, as somebody who isn't, you know, intelligent, like I always grew up thinking like I was more of a jock, you know, and then you see these people who have just crushed their sciences all the way through and like they were built for this. So I kind of always felt like an outsider on, on one hand. Um, but I think part of it's just immaturity. Like you just, you don't, like you, you realize when you get to a certain level of, of success, if you want to call it that, like even just getting into professional school that, everybody kind of has to put in the work and nobody's all that special and you're not that special, like, you know, in a positive way or a negative way. And like, I, we, we, I think we're all kind of the main character in our life story. So we like to kind of have a chip on our shoulder. I feel like we're different, but maybe at a certain level of experience, you just realize that everybody's just, everybody's the same and to a large degree. It's a nice way to put it. And it's kind of freeing once you can realize that, you know what I mean? That you're, you're a lot alike your your peers, you know the similar struggles. It gives you the sense of relatability. Um, yeah. But I, like I said, because you and I are, I take it quite open books. You know what I mean? Like we're we're fairly transparent over our past, the struggles that we we had to 
overcome to to get to where we are and i like you think that i you know despite all odds here we are you know like i never thought that this is going to be an easy journey i never thought that i i could actually you know be a part of this uh this profession um and, and with that always came a sense of openness uh you know like i never i never had to you know put myself together and pretended to be somebody i wasn't you know even in physio school like how you described it, these people, they seem just so well put together. Like they got this there. You know what I mean? Like they don't need any help, but maybe, you know, deep down and you can see it sometimes they get, especially around test season, right? It's like you get these people who they just get a bit squirrely, you know? Yeah. And they like, and for me, like that, I never had that because I was always openly honest to the fact that, holy smokes, I, I feel like I'm hooped here guys, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's so, a healthy way to be though, you know, like just being, being open and honest about it. And it, it shows people around you that they can maybe open up that way as well. And like, you don't have to have this, this veil of, of superiority and like having it all put together. Like everybody struggles, right? <laughs> totally. Totally. And so let's, let's, let me ask you this. When you started your, you know, your actual profession, so you're finished your, your clinicals, your first day of clinic, like how on a scale of one to 10, you know, let's, let's go back to our scales how how bad did this you know this this whole notion of imposter syndrome hit you like was it was it debilitating did you feel it every day did you feel it once in a while um yeah it it was an underlying um feeling for me for sure because so <laughs> i remember actually uh so right after i graduated i took a trip back out to bc and like we were actually uh, i was staying at your place up on the near the lake there and i had a, a meeting with my the clinic owner uh, over over Skype, and he was basically saying, "So, I'm going to try to take a backseat clinically. I want you to basically be the face of the physio program here, and you're going to run the physio program." And here I am, like I haven't even, you know, I've just finished my clinical placements, just graduated. Like I'm going to be the face of the physio program. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know anything, <laughs> right? It just felt like an absolute imposter. And in some sense, I think. So, what did I do, right? I, I probably, I consumed a really unhealthy amount of continuing education <laughs> um, because, because I like legitimately every day, every week, if not every day, I was seeing something I didn't know how to manage. And, you know, that, like that feeling has reduced in its, uh, in its frequency, but it's still there. And I think when you start, like every time you see something new, you're seeing it for the first time, right? Like that's a circular statement, but um, you got to kind of allow yourself to do the work. Like if you, if you haven't come across somebody with sciatica or cervical radiculopathy or, you know, a labral tear, how do you expect yourself to know how to manage it? Like it's every single time you do it, it's going to be for the first time. And I guess what I tried to do was take every instance where that occurred and never let it happen again, or be do the work to be more prepared the following time. And there's no like mental tricks that is, are going to get you out of that. Like you just need to learn how to treat a labral tear and learn how to diagnose it and dig into all the literature. And, and then I would say for me, as I genuinely gained competence, my sense of imposter syndrome faded pretty, pretty powerfully. Um, and, and then I think there's sort of like a transfer there where like you learn how to treat one uh, condition and, and 
you kind of learn principles about how to treat other stuff, you know? So it's not like you feel like the same degree or same level of imposter. Um, even when you see something new now, it's like, well, okay, here's how I deal with something new. And it doesn't like ruin your week. You know what I mean? <laughs> Does that make sense? No, it's so true. It's so true. Um, it, and bringing you back to just that one point, you know, you were saying that when you're, when your um, clinic owner was going to have you run, run the program, you're like, you know, who, who the hell am I? What, what do I know? And you know, what's funny is like, I, like I remember all of that kind of going on last year. And I also, I had this sense that if, if anybody could do it, it would have been you. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's one of the things I really admire about you. It, just especially just knowing you for these past bloody, how long has it been? It feels like it feels like forever. Um, it is like, I got to see that you are far more brilliant, intelligent and capable than you ever make yourself out to be, hmm. you know? And it, it, it's, which is, which is, I think an awesome quality. Cause I think that's part of the engine that drives you to, to like, to keep pushing forward, you know, like you, just the amount of knowledge that you've accumulated. I don't even know if, if you realize it, you know, like in, if there's any problem, like even physio school, undergraduate degree, that would leave me a bit speechless. I would always look at you and you'd always know something to say about it, <laughs> you know? So it's, 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 it's quite, it's quite funny. Um, well, because I think that everyone else, <laughs> everyone else, but even you look at some of the, you know, your reviews on, on your, your physio, you know, like, from day one, man, you know what I mean? Like people probably perceived you as this very, very experienced clinician. And just because you were an experienced clinician didn't mean that you didn't hold the intelligence of one, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you just had to go through the bloody motions, which is which is really, really cool. Um, and, and who knows, yeah, you have such a diverse background in strength and conditioning. You have an absolute passion for the industry. And you've been having that years prior to being an actual physio. And, you know, and that's probably why you were able to have this success so early on. Hmm. Well, man, I'm, I think I'm, I'm blushing here, man. You're, you're gassing me up a little too much for a Saturday morning. Um, I appreciate it, though, man. Those are those are kind words. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think it's so interesting how our perception of ourselves can be so, so insanely different from maybe how somebody else perceives us. Like, there are people who who I, yeah, like there are people who I perceive as, as just absolute experts who, when you really get to know them, like, uh, they, be, they become very human in your eyes, you know, and you realize that, oh, they don't know everything. And, um, and then I think, yeah, we, we can often have these, these totally backwards perceptions of our, of ourselves. So it's, it's crazy to, to hear that from you, honestly, because I, I don't perceive myself as somebody who knows anything above average or has any intelligence that's, you know, facilitated anything. I just try to do the work and I guess it is what totally. it is. Right. Um, and you know what, I'll, I'll exploit that problem until you die. So you don't ever leave me Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. Um, you know, one, one interesting thing that I thought would be worth bringing up is that I think the imposter syndrome comes after this sort of phase of blissful ignorance about, you know, not knowing what you don't know. Um, yeah. like, you know, I, I think when, when I, so when I first started as a, in like strength conditioning and personal training, I felt like I knew everything, you know, I wrote a blog post about this just before graduating a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, I, we, we've seen that like in the, in the, that whole Dunning Kruger effect, right. Which is where people, people, when they start something, they're not aware of their lack of skill. And, 
you know, the people who are least competent tend to mo most outrageously overestimate their, um, their, their competence. And so I, th I think that what, we're, what we've been discussing so far is something that you get to kind of once you realize how much you don't know, but there is, there does seem to be this blissful phase where, where you're just like, man, this is easy, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, do, do you agree with that? Like, do you think maybe that affects different people to a different extent? Or did, did you have that, like when it comes to clinical practice and physio, or did you always feel like you were in the deep end? You know, it's, man, every, it's interesting because um, I, I felt that way when I first started university, you know what I mean? Like that I kind of had it figured out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then as I learned more, like you were saying, this whole Matthew principles, like the more, you know, the less, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and that really hit me pretty hard after first year of university, because I, like I was constantly, like you were saying in rooms full of people who I thought were just far smarter than I, and I had catch up to do. Mm. Um, and I always actually like it, it maybe because it part and parcel is because I, I get bored of topics quickly and I'm always changing gears rapidly. Mm. So I'm always exploring new things. So I'm always finding myself in the same position of, um, a knowledge transfer from others to myself. And I really like that. Right. Cause like even what I'm doing now, it's, it's just a huge, a huge difference. And I have so much to learn and I find that quite freeing. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so I've never really felt like the master in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who, and, and I, who the hell sorry. knows what I would be if I had, if I had that opportunity, but yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I like that feeling though. Like, it's interesting. Like I, I, I find that, that sense that I, like, if, if I did know it all in an area, like, I don't think it would interest me at all. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Like, um, and when, when it's I started out, to be at the, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying it's freeing to be more at the bottom, right? Because the only way to go is up and that's a, that's a hopeful trajectory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, you're right. And I think this is one of the reasons that I really, I really love being a physio. Um, is it like when you start learning about something, you kind of develop this initial framework, like take something like, like something I've dove in really deep on over the past year is um, like lumbar radiculopathy, radicular pain syndromes, um, sciatica. And when I started learning about it, it seemed fairly simple, you know, disc herniation or stenosis compresses a nerve root, you get inflammation, you get pain down the leg. It is what it is. Right. And then I, you know, I took uh, Tom Jessen's masterclass on physio network on sciatica. And then it just like, oh my goodness, like there's so much more depth to it. And then I bought his ebook and then I did Mark Laslett's course and, and you just realize that there's like layers on layers and layers and even the most basic aspects of assessment and treatment that you thought were relatively straightforward initially, like experts are arguing like crazy about the most basic parts of practice. And I think like, I love that about our field is that it, we're, we're never going to get to a point where there aren't new, interesting clinical things to, uh, to learn and, in, in ways to kind of update our knowledge framework and uh it's never going to get boring hopefully and, and i think a lot of people probably just you know stop reading research like five years in and kind of phone it in but like I, i'm gonna try to not do that <laughs> no and you're coming at it in such a way that you're you're dynamic too right like you're not just settling in one camp that if that camp was to be disproven that it would break you <laughs> you know like yeah. You, you understand that it's evolving and then that's okay, you know? And at the end of the day, like we're in a profession where we need to be able to step back and say, hey, like like the best argument here wins. Like despite how I've been feeling for 
my whole clinical past. Like if, if there's research or if there's data to suggest that what I'm doing just isn't right, then I should have nothing but joy to alter my path. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but I was, I was going to ask you, so we, you know, we, you really felt this imposter type syndrome more at the start of your career, which is probably normal for most. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I want you to, you to talk a little bit about your clinical experience, like from, from day one, your first clinical experience to, you know, the end. And I want you to just like, like touch on points of independence along the path. Like how independent were you in your clinicals? Uh, did you feel mm-hmm. like they prepared you well for, for being an actual clinician, paid clinician? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think it's worth delving into the details. So my first, I, I think maybe I'll stick with just my MSK, like kind of private practice experience because the hospitals are a totally different ball game. Um, I was thrown into a, like an MSK neuro hybrid uh, placement just at the start of my second year. So we hadn't done our advanced MSK training at that point. And I absolutely felt out of my depth, like in every way. I had great clinical instructors, but man, like things that now seem simple would come in like a, just like a mechanical low back pain or like, you know, a rotator cuff related shoulder pain. I had no idea. Like I was absolutely trembling initially, right? Um, this isn't even to mention the neuro stuff, which is like a totally different ball game. Um, <laughs> so throughout that placement, man, I very much was of the opinion that like, okay, these are paying customers. Like some people here are paying cash. Some people are using their benefits. Some, you know, I do not know how to assess this condition. I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm doing. Like I need to tap in my CI here and then I'm going to try to do as much research as I can afterwards so that, you know, this doesn't become a, something that I can't do twice. And and I think maybe that's a, a good general rule is like for students that are listening, try to try to never make the same mistake twice on placement and you'll be in really good shape when you come out. But so in that first placement, man, I didn't like, I remember on my last week, there was a, there was a, a, a person that came in for an initial eval and I was like, yeah, sorry, still don't feel comfortable doing a back, like a low back assessment. And that was after six weeks. And I mean, that's just, that's just be being honest about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and maybe some people are just more comfortable diving in and kind of like figuring out as they go. But for me, it's like, I I don't, I haven't learned like the diagnostic accuracy of any of these tests. I don't know the difference between a slump test and a prone knee bend. And, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. really know how to, like, what, what does it mean if they have a, you know, a reflex that's one plus versus two plus and their myotomes a little foot. Like, I don't know what that means. Like telling, you're going to let me tell a client um, what, what needs to happen in terms of management. Like I was so unqualified for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, can I, can I put a pin there for one second and ask you Rick right now? So, you know, you, you didn't know that, uh, how did you phrase it? You said that you didn't know if you were the person to tell the, the patient what they need. Do you, right now, you know, a year and a, a bit into your career and all the experience that you have, do you feel like there's a single thing that you could tell a patient to give them what they need to recover? Yeah, at times for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 100%. So, I would say uh, I didn't know how to make, like, we're always thinking in probabilities, right? So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I've gotten quite good at just being honest with patients here's what we know based on the literature here's what i know based on my clinical experience 
um, here are, here's, you know, what I, our, our possible avenues of treatment are, uh, what do you think? Do you want to mm-hmm. give it a go? And I mean, it just, it was literally like when, before we did our advanced MSK unit, I, I, I didn't know any of the special test clusters. So, you know, maybe this is no, just totally. more a, uh, more a question of timing. Um, sorry, I'll, I'm going to, I sounded like you had a follow-up question. I'm just going to try to rephrase it in a different way. So, you yeah. know, back, back your, your, your first, um, your first MSK placement, Leo's thinking that there's this, this one means to the end, you know what I mean? Like I, you need to provide the client one path because when I was, I'm trying to relate to how I used to feel as a, as like a student physio and how I always felt was I need to understand, like you just said, every single joint cluster, every single special test. And I need to be able to distill all of these variables into one distinct path forward, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what I felt my job was, was to take all this information and make a formula to overcome the, the, the basically the barrier to recovery, which is this one execution. And that always gave me anxiety because I, I didn't know how to triage any of that. Yeah. But my, my feeling as it stands now is there's, there's not one road forward. Like there, there I feel like there could be, there, there's many roads forward. Yeah. And I, that's not always true. Um, no, it's, <laughs> it, it is true. Like there's, you have, you, you definitely have options and flexibility, but I didn't know how to discriminate between any of the options. And I didn't, totally, I didn't totally. know, well, you know, okay. There are times you need to be specific, right? Like even just, mm-hmm. okay. As a, as a new grad physio, the one thing you need to be able to do is rule out red flags. Like yeah. you need, you need to know, you need to know how to do that and when to send somebody to the ER or tell them to go see their GP. Um, like when are you the right person to do that? And like, I just, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Right. So Yep. It's one like if we if we take those red flag situations out of it, for sure, you can just mess around with exercise or manual therapy or whatever and like you're gonna fumble your way through, definitely. Um, but it, I I mean maybe maybe more than most, I'm somebody who at least needs like a framework to guide my thinking. Um mm-hmm. and I didn't have that framework to discriminate between here's one option, here's a second option. What what am I gonna be able to do here like yep. I, I don't know how to proceed in in the absence of that like would would you say in your case when like when you got had your first msk placement had you learned the majority of like your msk theory no i was i was the same as you my friends it was uh we, we did the basic msk you know like mmt's range of motion um you know a, a few like a couple special tests like maybe like meniscal testing but it wasn't advanced msk like i didn't do any joint glides pavins pivums like you know what i mean like like the huge joint clusters um so i uh yeah i was in the same boat as you um where i think that my path was slightly different is like because i was in that rural cohort i was always thrown into these placements where like like physios weren't abundant right like yeah um and, and i really I really think this is important for my development because my first placement, you know, it was, it was, it was the first part of, well, was it the second part of first year uh, when I went up to that, that, that rural location up by the Queen Charlotte's Mm -hmm. um, on the West coast where it was this hospital and it was this huge hospital that was a hub for the Northwest, but there was like three physios and one of the physios was the manager who also had to like fly to a remote Island. Yeah. I remember that. So like it was, it was super, super, um, like just like dire straits, you know, so they really, really treated me uh, as a working professional. <laughs> and that, that placement, I, I think I, I really attribute that experience to, to a majority of my growth. I was one scared shitless two probably grappling with the imposter syndrome the whole time. 
<laughs> yeah. researching like I've never researched before, but with such motivation because I knew every time I'd go to clinic the next day, I'd have somebody else in front of me that was just a completely new experience, right? So, yeah. um, and that right there, I'll just stop you quickly. That's the key when you yeah. say re- researching like never else before, like. So that's where, like, I, I, I've met, I've had two students over the past year, um, and the, the biggest thing that I tell them, like, is if you see something you don't know, look it up. You got Google. Yep. Do you know what I mean? You have mentors. You got PubMed. Like, I'm sure every single thing you saw there was something that you didn't know how to treat, and and you know you were. I remember you reaching out to me, and we were chatting about things, and you were doing a crazy amount of research and like, I guess at the end of the day, you have to take responsibility for that. Right. And you did, and you came out of it like in a, in a, in a great position. But if you just waited to kind of be spoon fed that material in school, then, then maybe that wouldn't like, you wouldn't have had as much growth. Is that fair? Totally fair. Totally fair. Um, so, so like you said, like, you know, you're thrown into the deep end and not really the options are you sink or you swim, you know, and, um, they did it in such a way, and I, th- I think like, even thinking about this now, I, I never really paid much attention to it. But I, I'm probably going to reach out to my old CI uh, in, in Prince Rupert because they did a lot of good for me that I actually never even realized until now. It's it's funny. Yeah. Um. But it, they did it in such a way that it was graded, right? Like it was like you're going to see two new patients a day by yourself. Yeah. They're going to one's going to be like late afternoon or let's sorry late morning the x the next is going to be in in late afternoon right it's going to give you plenty of time to prepare here's their charts yeah. just to get used to it right it dips it, you just get your feet wet and then you do all this this research and you know you see the client and then you do all this research after um and then you add another one and you know then another one and it's like just this beautiful graded system and, and the, ne- the next part what was really really nice is it wasn't a pay for service right all the services in that that public outpatient facility is is free right um yeah and, and my ci was always in the room next door you know what i mean like she she wasn't preoccupied doing something else like it, well, she was but she she always made it evident that if there was anything crazy you know just just come and see me so she gave me the freedom to explore but it was always at a safe distance yeah if that makes sense and that's i mean i think um, that's the balance that that you need right you need to feel like you have people you can rely on if you if you're really out of your depth but you need to be given enough independence that you can actually like make the mistakes you need to make in, in a safe environment where the consequences aren't life-threatening for the patient totally totally and so that was my experience through all of my placements quite frankly it was like just this incredible amount of independence since since day one yeah um and the reason why i think that the hospital placements are similar to like the msk although like the physio is different yeah like the interaction the one-on-one interaction is the same and one thing that i always was you know was always really important to me was like i call it like just user experience it's kind of funny but like just how satisfied is my patient with our interaction you know because If if you can't be a hundred percent perfect with your physio execution, like they, you can at least make sure that they know that you're in their corner, that you they have a fantastic experience with you, yeah. they bond with you, they relate with you, um, and and in, in the hospital, like that's that's how I got through it because the physio wasn't exciting for me, right? But right. like the people experience was, um, and that's what kind of gave me my enthusiasm and my motivation. Um, so 
I, I really think the hospitals, although they didn't teach me how to do good MSK diagnostics, they, they I, I got a lot of repetition with, with clients, Definitely. you know, and just different personality types and just managing expectations. I mean, but, you know, I, ha I having said that, like, that's something that you were already kind of an expert at <laughs> prior to physio school. <laughs> so, like, I mean, if anybody could walk into an MSK yeah. practice with zero experience and just, like, make people feel like, like they're having a fantastic... <laughs> user experience it's it's brando let's be honest here yeah, so man, yeah, it's true. um i you know to do that in a in a responsible way you know hey look man i, I don't know what's going on but uh you know we, we can talk about it for the next 30 minutes yeah and you know that's something that my my students have have struggled with and i struggled with at the start is uh when you're seeing something that you don't know you're thinking about your physio stuff you're not like doing all that active listening, motivational interviewing stuff, you're, you're thinking about, okay, what questions do I need to ask here to rule out the right things? And like, it's such a tricky thing, right? To build that, that, that rapport while also thinking about, okay, what objective test am I going to do next? How do I do this naturally and without seeming robotic? And Hey, I mean, there's no, it's just getting reps, right? That's what I I've told my students is that you're, you're not going to be like this Per, per, you're not going to take a perfect subjective history the first time um, you you kind of develop these skills and then they become instinctive I think in a sense mm -hmm. and different yep. people need more help with with different aspects of it but I would say that the building rapport aspect you're probably in the top one percent of all physio students <laughs> ever so um, yeah I, I, I'm curious to uh, I'm curious to ask you like over time when you were going through your placements, like how quick, how long did it take you to, to feel like really comfortable? Or did you find like all through your degree um, on all your rotations, you were constantly having to do like a ton of research on your own time? Or was it, you know, was it pretty much, you kind of got the hang of things pretty quick? You know, it, it's funny because my, my, like my first placement we just talked about, I did a ton of research because I always felt that there was this one path, right? That I had to isolate uh, and move forward with, or else they wouldn't get better or they could potentially get worse. Mm. But as I started to unpack it a little bit, I, I realized that there are, there, there are multiple means to most ends. And like at, at the very least, like, we're, how about this? Above all else, we're going to do no harm. Um, the hospitals yeah. give you a really safe space to execute that. I got a lot of good hospital experience. So, and I knew that at, at the very least that we could have a fantastic conversation. I could lift these people's spirits up and I could, we could go to the gym. I could, you, you know what I mean? And at the very least we could go on the recumbent bike and I'm probably not going to do any harm to you. Yeah. Right. So my anxiety started to lift after knowing that there, there there's a lot of safe exercise executions that aren't going to cause them harm. Right. Yeah. Obviously within, within limits, um, that I could always revert to, but like you know, you, you can't tell me that if somebody has, <laughs> you're, you're usually not going to do wrong with some bad exercises. You hear know what no, I mean? Like no. again, you know your hip precautions, you know all these types of things. But like, yeah, you, you have these fail safes built in that even if you don't exactly know what's going on, that you can go through a routine while you think, and then you know you can come back the next day, especially in the hospital, uh, with a better plan moving forward. Right. So mm -hmm. that kind of figuring that out that you know. I could just do heel pumps. You know what I mean? Like, like, and this is the kind of the part where I get a bit frustrated with physio, I think, because yeah. you do all of this groundwork. You went to school for so many years, right? You can understand the pathology down to the perfect physiological explanation, every single mechanism behind why it's happening. But in knowing that, 
you know, like your, does your execution change all that much? Like you can only do so much as a physio, I think. Yeah. And maybe that's not a fair thing to say because what we're doing is extremely important. It's no, extremely valuable. No, it's, it's fair. But the thing is, um, I think that on the outside, it can look really simple, but the amount of mental <laughs> processes that are going into giving somebody a squat actually are like, there, there's a, there's a, there's a profound amount of considerations there, you know? Totally. And I think that like, from the outside, it's like, well, yeah, we just bend knees. You know what I mean? We, we, we give people exercise and whatever. It doesn't even really matter. Like there's all this data on like non-specific exercise being effective, but mm-hmm. um, the consideration of pathology and the consideration of how to progress an exercise and the, um, the idea of how to cue it and coach it and um, how to frame it in a way that aligns with the person's goals and how many exercises to give somebody and, when to you know make things harder or easier and like there's a squat isn't just a squat and a heel pump isn't just like we're doing valuable work ultimately i think even though it can seem simple which is why i think a lot of people over complicate their interventions because they they want to feel like they went to school and you know they they didn't just go to six years like they didn't just do six years of higher education to um just give somebody an exercise they already knew how to coach beforehand you know what i mean but i I think there there's a lot of ego there and um, and I've definitely come to terms with the fact that simple is often actually harder to do. Very hard. It is. You know what You're I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally, I totally, totally agree. Yeah. Um, and, and like that's, and that's the beautiful thing about our, our profession. And, and you and I used to talk a lot about the, the whole notion of service over status and like that, that is physio in a, in a sense, right? Because it's so intricate and there's so much intellect and there's so much work that goes into it. And I don't think that a majority of the population will ever get to appreciate that. Yeah. Right. Because like you said, it's the whole Miyagi house from the outside looking in, you know, like it doesn't seem like much, but man, as soon as you, as soon as you go to the backyard, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah there's um, a lot of depth to it. It's totally true. So I, I'm curious to see if there is a correlation between, you know, clinical independence uh, and imposter syndrome, you, you know, like, it's yeah well hey, well, it, hey I'll, it, i mean I'll, I'll expand a little bit on my experience when i got into an msk clinic and had some competence after doing our like advanced msk unit i felt way less imposter syndrome <laughs> like totally. you know i mean when i was given independence my final rotation my my ci kind of threw me to the wolves pretty early on and it made me struggle through and as i got better at it i felt less like an imposter. Like it, it wasn't all that complicated at, at the end of the day, you know? Um, so I do think there's a huge correlation. So do you, how do you, do you have any remedies to offer people? Like, do you, do you ever feel imposter syndrome today? You know, a year and a bit in, do you, do you still grapple with it or is it kind of a slowly dissipated? Yeah, I guess a lot less than I used to. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes I just find if I'm in like a rough spot mentally, I'll start feeling it. Like it sometimes it just has more to do with the the filter through which I'm I'm viewing the world. Like I had a bad sleep and I've got a lot of life stress and you know, um, I just don't feel like my my cognitive operating system is functioning well. Um, I like I think just like sometimes this might be worth bringing up. Sometimes people just have like clinical anxiety you know what i mean <laughs> independent of all the competence and confidence stuff like sometimes people just have poor mental health and and that like if because if, if you've been doing it for a long time and you still feel that way like could just be that 
yeah, like you're like you, it'd be worth talking to like a professional about it. And maybe I think that's something that's worth mentioning. Um, but I think everybody has a slightly different experience with it. Um, yeah. Like, is, is it something that you feel a lot or is it you pretty much let it go? Uh, you know, no, I, I, I do feel, I don't feel it as much with patience anymore, but I, I feel it when I listen to like some of the, the higher level podcasts and even just like the continuing ed courses, um, or if, even if I went back at some of my physio notes and I think, holy smokes, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's just, there's just so much that I actually don't know that it's almost, it can get overwhelming. Um, you get it when you talk to people who, who are just, like you said, all, you know, ultra intelligent, um, or even a, a perceived master at their craft. But I was just even talking to our other colleague Galen there about it the other day. And he says, you know, he follows this. Um, it was a vestibular physio who was supposed to be like, like just the top in his class, you know, mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of vestibular research, of education and of uh, clinical practice. Mm-hmm. And he did some courses through them, thought there was really, you know, he was the guy, he's got the formula. Uh, and then, you know, he, he took another course with a, with a similar uh, a similar fellow who had kind of the same class distinction was just this master of his craft kiddo knows everything there ever would need to know about vestibular rehab and his approach was completely different and disputed all of it um, of his first course and it's like there there you kind of have it right like it's two people who are who are supposed to be both like like class a know what they're talking about any vestibular issue send them their way but yeah. they're completely contradictory to one another and yeah. it's just it's just ironic you know and it comes back to the point like me we're, we're all figuring it out slowly totally um and there are multiple paths and maybe that's just a, a good reminder that it's if you do feel that imposter syndrome that's totally normal and yeah. you know like it's such a confused like physio specifically is such a, a mess you know the research and like the different opinions that experts have so like how, how are you mm-hmm. supposed to uh have it figured out and have a clear framework um and then just yeah generally um I, I think i think it's maybe worth it's it's good to recognize that you're not alone and everybody feels this to some extent you know what i mean it's true it is true and it's tough you know cuz you learn you learn so much about different aspects and different pathologies and like you feel like you you, you finally overcome kind of a, that knowledge barrier uh, you get comfortable with something and then, you, you know, because you're comfortable with it, you stop paying as much attention to it. You stop researching it as much and you, you go pay attention to something else. And then for me, it's like I, I usually forget probably about half of <laughs> my previous knowledge. So, you know, as far yeah. as I, I, I really enjoy doing hips and knees because, I'll, you know, they're very, very straightforward. You, you get to have a lot of fun with them. Yeah. Um, and you kind of know what's going on, but you know what's funny is I, I, this guy came with a question to me the other day was, you know, the, the knee clunks a little bit, right? It oscillates side to side and it makes a, a bit of a clunking sound. He goes, you know, will this ever go away? And I thought about that, you know, and I, I, I had a really strong gut urge to say, oh, absolutely, over it to, you know, strengthen the, the, the muscles across the knee, We're, you know, you know, the hip, the knee, the, every, every good knee program has a hip program, yeah. you know, and I was just going to spew this knowledge and I thought, will it ever stop clunking? You know, like... I actually, and he goes, why is it clunking? You know, and it's like, well, my theory would be, you know, you, you have this brand new metal, you know, in your joint capsule and they just kind of clunk together between that little plastic plate. But do I actually know that? You yeah. know what I mean? Like it, trying to be really honest with people is hard. And that's where I start again, 
total knees are very straightforward. Right. They're very basic, right? We should have, I, I feel like I should know every answer that would ever come my way from a total knee replacement, you right. know, or, you know, why, why won't my knee bend to 130 degrees? What's stopping it? It feels like a block. Like, I, yeah. and I, I remember asking a lot of different surgeons that question too. And it's like, do you ever actually know exactly what's going on? And like, the answer is no, yeah, 100%. you know, but they're looking, they're, they're still looking at you for some sort of rhyme or reason and reassurance. And so I, I get these little waves of imposter syndrome, especially in, in, it's frustrating for me too, because especially when it's something as simple as a total knee replacement, Yeah, you know, well, and I you think, know, Oh my God. That's an important point though, is that I think being honest is a, is a good remedy for, for imposter syndrome, like realizing you don't have to have all the answers. Um, and just being transparent with your patients, like, um, like, for example, yesterday I, I had a, 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 a patient come in who'd been in a car accident. She had probably like what I would classify as grade two whiplash um, and, and a concussion. And that's not an area of expertise of mine. Like, that's a big blind spot. I just haven't done a lot of that. haven't really done any vestibular. And so I just said, um, hey, I'm going to refer you to my colleague who's done some extra training in concussion rehab. Um here's what I know about it and how you should manage it in the acute phases. But um, I'll put you in with, uh, with this other physio on Tuesday. And I didn't see that as this big slight to my ego or like I kind of had to like fake this answer because I had like one lecture on it in school. You know what I mean? Um, I think you don't have to be all things to all people. And mm -hmm. if you don't have competence in an area, it's not like, oh, I'm an imposter. Like you get all red in the face. Yeah. You just say like, well, I don't know much about that. So here's what I do know. <laughs> um, what do you think? Do you want to go forward with this? Or would you, I mean, maybe I'm, it's better to refer you on, right? Like, and, and I think just, man, it's it's funny how these principles from life totally apply to, uh, to rehab. <laughs> like just be honest with people. Don't lie to people. Yeah. That's generally a good yeah. idea in clinical practice. Um, and it, and it, it kind of takes your ego out of it, right? Like on one hand you have, you have arrogance and that egotistical nature about your ability and, and, or, and, and that, oh, that comes across so horribly, but th this kind of insecurity is also rooted in ego. It's this kind of a self-focused attitude, right? Whereas if you just take yourself out of the equation and it's just, well, here's a person in front of me, do I know how to help them? Yes or no. You just go down your your decision. You, you kind of go through your clinical process. Focus on the process. It's not about you. Um, learn to be objective in kind of appraising your abilities. And when you don't think you can be objective, because we're all very biased, then have people in your life that can, you know, shed some light on your blind spots, and you get to go. You know. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's not all about you. Yeah, don't don't make it about yourself. And, and like I said, leave, leaving your, your clinician's ego at the door is really, really important. Yeah. And I've always had an easy way of doing that because I've, I've never really, and rightfully so, because, you know, how fresh am I to this profession, but I, I've never really felt like I've had an ego with physio, you know, or even most things in my life, which is, which is good. And, and maybe it's just because I, I can really realize what I don't know, you know, and, and for me, that's more exciting than, than anything is like, there's just all this potential to learn. And yeah. I like that far more than, than, than knowing. And I'm, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades type guy, you know, just, just from my background. And I really enjoy that diversity. Um, but I'll ask you one thing because, you know, you, you have this intellectual conversation, this honest conversation with the client saying like, look, like I'm not the best with the concussion rehab or vestibular rehab, but my colleague is, mm -hmm. I, and I'd love to, you know, refer you on. And, and that's, uh, like that's a, a totally respectable, open, honest, and professional thing to do. Um, I, 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 
I was talking to my dad about this actually when I was, I think I was in Prince Rupert or, even, or I can't remember where I was, but it was, uh, you know, again, a, a rural spot where there's not a lot of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just telling him like, like, I don't think I'm the right person to be seeing these people. And he proposed the question, like, if, if you weren't seeing them, would anybody, you know, like, are, are you <laughs> yeah. as limited as you are in your knowledge? Are you the best shot that they have? Yeah. And if, and if you are, that, like, if you are, then yeah, you better buck up and learn some stuff about concussion, Lee, you know? <laughs> um, but thankfully I got my buddy, Adrian, who's like an expert in concussion. So, um, and he works at the clinic. Did so he, did he do the, uh, what, what concussion he course did, did he do? Complete concussion management course. Nice. Took him like I had a friend who just did that. Like, it's a heavy, thick course, but it's quite, quite expensive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, I think his clinic uh, funded it, so his other one. So, um, awesome. but you know, I say it's, it's that's the thing, right? Like, I have a buddy who practices up in Thunder Bay. Uh, shout out Nate DeFranco, and uh, he says, like, man, the things he sees, he's basically like a family doc up there as a physio. Um, totally making and referrals to neurologists that... and like in me and wow. my kind of cushy practice and. Etobicoke in Toronto like I don't I don't really see that like really intense medical stuff that much like I don't get thrust outside of my zone of competence and expertise all that often and when I do there's typically somebody within a five mile radius who I can refer them to that's so I don't know totally totally you, you should you should tell old Nate dog there that there's uh, ice physio is doing <laughs> Nate dog <laughs> that's a rapper i think um ice physio is doing a primary care uh physical therapist course that basically you know it, it gives you a, a quick introductory to basically family medicine you know to screen out and to help rule out pathologies and refer on it and it's for like more rural type uh type physios so oh wow cool um, yeah pretty cool pretty yeah, cool interesting um, so you know, the remedy, I suppose, that I, I think for this whole imposter syndrome is like, just like be excited for the amount that you, you don't feel, you know, like use it as fuel to, to learn. Right. <laughs> it's easier said than done. You know what I mean? Like you'd never tell somebody who, you know, has anxiety not to be anxious. Like, what are you being anxious about? But at yeah. the same time, it's like, just surrender, just surrender to it because we're all feeling it, you know? Yeah, no, and, and easier said than done, right? And like some people are going to need to address anxiety with a therapist or through medication, but some people are also just going to need to realize that it's not about them and, and do a little bit of work and then they'll feel better. So, yeah, I think it. Uh, everybody's going to have a, a totally, it's hard to make a blanket statement about it, but I think that that pretty much sums it up as you as you put it there. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, anything else you want to add, Brando, on imposter syndrome, or have we uh, beat this horse to death? I, I I feel pretty good about it. How about you? Yeah, no, I'm I'm good, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll leave it there, and uh, I'll uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Take care, my friend. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Paradox BT podcast. If you have any comments or feedback, the best way to get in touch with us is on Instagram. Brandon can be found at, at Pacific Edge Physio, and I can be found at, at Leo.Physio. We'd also really appreciate it if you gave us a follow and a like on whatever podcast app you use so you can get notified about future episodes as we release them. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.